0: Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is October 18th, 2023. We continue our series, Words for Life, and today's word is get dressed. So, do you get dressed for special events? Maybe for a banquet? Many schools around the area will have proms, and the teenagers that go to those will get very dressed up. But why do some people refuse an invitation to such an event? Are we so full of so many other things that we are no longer hungry for what the banquet has to offer? Today, let's begin our reading with Isaiah 25 verses 6 through 9. It reads, And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of His people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. I often do not begin this podcast so quickly, with the scripture reading, but I I wanted to immediately jump in to the passage in Isaiah. Because here, the Lord is holding a feast. Now, I asked people recently, what is a feast? What do you think about when you hear the word feast? And most people think it's, it's food. It's a big dinner. But, a feast in the Old Testament is more than just a meal. It's to say banquet, I think we think of a, a meal as well, maybe with a presentation. Um, there are some maybe high school proms where you have a meal and a dance and band and music. Um, this is getting closer to the idea of a biblical feast. A feast of the Old Testament is, yes, there's food, but there's dancing, there's fellowship, there's music, there's... it's. I don't even like to use the word party, but it it is an event that encompasses everything that we would all want at a party, a banquet, a prom, it's all those things plus. And the Lord is having a feast. And in the scripture, this is not just any feast, this is something special. This is a feast. It says of choice pieces. In other words, he's picking out the absolute best pieces of meat, whether it's off the cow or the lamb or whatever. And this, is, this is the fatted calf, sort of the absolute best of the best. And he's doing that with the wine. And then it says of the fat things full of marrow. Now, listen, in the Old Testament, they weren't allowed to eat the fat. That was only given to the Lord. I know recently I I myself, I like to grill, I like to barbecue. I like to watch videos on YouTube of other people grilling and barbecuing. I like to watch and say, no, they don't know what they're doing. Or I like to watch and go, ooh, I'm learning something new. But one thing that you see when you watch these type of learning things is about the meat. And the flavor of the meat is in the fat. And pieces of meat with no fat have very little flavor. And they're, they're tough. And in the Old Testament, the fat was given to the Lord. But here in this feast, that fat is given to the people that attend the feast. And then he goes on to say, at this feast, God is going to have it on a mountain. And mountains often represent places of authority. And it's on this mountain that the surface that is covering cast over all people, the veil that spread over all nations. See, there's this blindness, this covering, this this sinful broken state of our world that blinds us. And the veil represents so much like in the temple they had a veil. You could not have God's presence. There was a separation. And it says that the Lord at this feast is going to destroy in this position of authority he's going to get rid of that covering he's going to destroy that veil over the nations where suddenly we as people can see we can experience the presence of God that we've been separated from it's going to be destroyed he goes on to say he will swallow up death forever there will be and when he does this there won't be any more death he says that he will wipe away all tears from our faces There'll be no more reason to cry because only joy will be had. Since the rebuke of his people, he will take away the rebuke is you've done wrong. He's going to take that away because you see in this moment, we will be made right. We will be made righteous. We won't have to be rebuked or told we're wrong because he's going to make us right. He's going to make us blameless and perfect for the Lord has spoken. And he said, behold, I don't want in verse nine. He doesn't say, but we say, he'll be saying that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited. We'll be glad and rejoice. See, this is a day of absolute celebration where we were so overwhelmed to be with God at this feast, at this party. And that brings me back to the question, do you get dressed up for special events? Would you ever turn down an invitation to such an event? You know, the the kingdom of God is so often compared to feasts, compared to parties. We're going to read another scripture passage. It's going to talk about one of these banquets, one of these feasts. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. And it reads, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it, and went their ways one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go to the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So the servants went out to the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him in outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. You know, again, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a wedding feast. That's what it says. And we need to talk a little bit about cultural context and, and understanding about what's going on here. See that there are many people that are being invited to this wedding and they, they just don't want to go. They keep making excuses You know, people make excuses because they don't want to offend you. But in the end, they make excuses because they don't want to do it. They don't want to go. They're simply not ready. Are you ready for God's feast? Are you ready for his wedding? Now, again, let me get into some cultural context. You know, society, the values of our society... The standards are changing. People no longer act the way they used to when interacting in public. The time of social politeness is over. It's been replaced with a type of selfishness, narcissism. People generally ignore those around them. They're very focused on themselves. It's about them, themselves, are they comfortable? Are they having a good time? Or their their pleasure? Many in this new generation, they struggle or are simply unable to perform the formalities of an event that is formal or professional. They're incapable of acting the correct way in those settings. Now, When presented with this, this generation will begin to make excuses on why that is not necessary, on why that doesn't fit their identity, on why that doesn't. But it has to do with the fact that we have a generation that's far removed from what I would call court life. And when I say court life, I don't mean, because there's a lot of, false teachings i don't want to get off on a sidetrack but when the bible uses the word court is not talking about a court with a judge and a jury and lawyers that's not culturally correct a court is the place where the king and his friends and family congregate that is the court and the king is of course the judge and jury and, you know he whatever he wants he gets But the court is the life around the king. And you can't just walk into the court and do whatever you want and say whatever you want and, and, and act whatever you want and dress however you want. There is a certain etiquette about court life. And I say this because you have to understand for the last several thousand years of human history, Court life was understood. Even the peasants who were raised uneducated in slums had an understanding. They may not knew all the rules, but they understood that when you enter into such formalities, if you didn't act a certain way, you would be cast out. There they, they, they understood that. There was this understanding. In some cultures, it even went into... Could you even speak the right dialect? Because if you spoke and your your dialect sounded like you were uneducated, you would be ejected. But for several thousand years, we, we had this understanding. And you see, that tradition was passed down. So even when in Western societies, when we moved away from having kings... We moved into other forms of government and things. We still continued to carry on a formality on how to act around other people in certain situations. There was a politeness. There was these rules. I want to say they were understood rules, but I also know that the public schools, up in the last hundred years here in the United States, you're talking mid nineteen fifties, we're still teaching many classes. On when you went to a formal affair, your plate, your forks, your nap, everything had meaning and a place, and you had to use it correctly. There was a ways that you would sit, there was ways that you would greet one another. What was acceptable, what was not. Was a handshake, was a curtsy, was a there were there were things do, I know when I was growing up, I was told that when you greet another man and you shake his hand, you give him a firm handshake, not not a hard, you're not trying to break him, you're not trying to get into, but you're not, also not trying, trying to show weakness, you give him a firm handshake and you look the man in the eye, it's a sign of respect, it's a, it's a good formal greeting, and if you don't do that, it's it's... It's not just insulting, but it's insulting to you because it's about your character is to me, not the other person. The other person will just, you just don't know better. You don't, you're, you're not, your identity in yourself is not what you think it is. But there's, there's, there's lots of these on, on how you act when around certain settings and that carries into professional life. How do you dress when you go to a professional activity? There are still, last I checked, and not as many, but there was a day in town when you couldn't go out to certain restaurants if you didn't have a coat or a coat and tie. I remember back in the early 90s, I went to New York with some relatives and I knew this and I'd packed a jacket. We went out to eat and I was told, no, no you won't need that. We're not going to go out to that type of place. And I said, okay, I would just wear a sweater. It was, it was chilly. You know, it was snowy New York and we get there. And yes, it was one of those places I had to have a jacket and I was so embarrassed. And of course they had the little jacket rentals right there. You could put on a jacket and go in the restaurant and you rent your jacket, but I, I knew that those places were there and I brought one and I just, I, I just fell for you don't need it. Because I didn't like the fact that I was the one in there with this rental jacket that didn't match anything on top of my sweater. It was an embarrassment for me. And you see, that's what happens when you understand the rules of formality and you don't do things correctly. You're embarrassed for yourself and for those that invited you. But we have a generation that doesn't understand these formalities because they have been lost. And you need to understand some of these to really understand this parable. I know I'm rambling a little bit. I'm not meaning to. But you have to understand that when the king invites you to a banquet, this is a big deal. This is a feast. And then if it's a formal affair, you're supposed to go. But this isn't just any banquet. This is any feast. This is a wedding feast. And you see, this. this was a big, big deal. It was more special than other feasts. It's an honor to be invited. And by the way, when you're invited to a feast, it's not just an honor to go, but as a guest, guests always receive special treatment. The host always gives special treatment to the guest because it's an honor to be invited and it's an honor for you to show up and attend. Both people are honored. They're honored to have you and you're, it's an honor for you to be there. And a wedding feast was even more special. As a matter of fact, it was the most important event in a person's life. If they're getting married, if they're getting married, if their children are getting married, this is the biggest event in your life. And in biblical times, they would sometimes invite entire villages. Everyone was invited. And everyone went because it was an honor to be invited. You wanted to go. If you didn't get an invite, you felt terrible because you were someone that they obviously had no regard for whatsoever. So you won that invite. If you didn't get the invite, you you were you were you were it was bad. It was, it was an embarrassment and it was bad. You wanted that invite. And when you got it, you went because you dare not show up. Because it's such an honor to be there. And everyone wanted to be there. And for a wedding feast in biblical times. To say they last for a week. Would be on the low side. They started at a week. And sometimes went longer. See we have a party and we think of one night. I don't want to get into the whole wine thing. Jesus and the wine. Because. People got this thing about alcohol. I'm telling you, biblical wine was not the wine that we have today. The alcohol content was completely different. You're talking about a a desert with no water. Drinking was sort of a priority. But at these events, these events didn't go one night. People didn't get drunk in a night. It was days and days and days. You would sleep and come back. You would sleep and come back. You'd go home and come back. The party just just kept going. But there was also expectations. So how would you... Why would you not want to attend? Well, let's look at the scripture passages. I know I've rambled a little bit, but this is important. Because... Then the excuses begin to come. Here here again, it sounds a little bit like the Isaiah passage. You know, he he said he's prepared the dinner. The fatted cattle are killed. The prime pieces. He's got all the choice wine. And then verse 5 says, they made light of it. In other words, it didn't mean anything to them. One went to his farm. The other one had his own business. I've got things to do. In other words, these people didn't want to be there. There are people that do not want to be at the Feast of God that we read in Isaiah 25. They don't care about having the rebuke taken away from them. They don't care about death being swallowed up. They don't care about God wiping away their tears. They don't care about the fact that this, this sin, this veil that separates them is going to be taken away. They're not waiting upon the Lord. They don't care. Maybe because they don't believe it. Maybe you can just go on and on with why, why, why. But the fact of the matter is they just don't care. They don't want it. When you start talking about religious people, what about religious people? No, They, they care, right? The Pharisees care. They said, no, they didn't. Because this is really who this is aimed at. This parable was about God's people that should have been ready for him and they weren't. Now, God's people that were, you know, Jewish people that were prostitutes and tax collectors and fishermen and people that were rejects of society. When Jesus came and he offered them an invite, they, they, they flocked to him. They took the invite. They took the honor. But so many of the religious groups, they didn't. And this parable talks about that. And they seize the servants, treat them spitefully, and kill them. Listen, the religious people that really don't care about God—they're the ones that're going to make an excuse. They really—they don't care. They—they—they—they're they, too busy. They're the ones at church that when revival breaks out, they're too busy to go to revival. They're too busy to see what God is doing. They got other things that's important in life. They don't care because they don't. Well, I'm not trying to make judgments on what they think, but there's that there's not that caring there. Whether it's they don't believe, they don't acknowledge, they don't, but they make excuses. And these same people that when you say things, a real revival. I'm not talking about a revival where someone is mocking up things that God is doing and things really aren't happening, and they're just taking a bunch of money. I'm not talking about those type of revivals. I'm talking about where God really shows up. And people's lives are changing. A real revival, then it breaks out. Um, you'll see it in the city. Like when I see things with most charismatics today, and I am charismatic. I believe in the Holy Spirit. But I see people talking about revival. And I start looking, and I'm going, well, did any bars close down? Did any of the, the red light areas, did the prostitutes start getting saved? Did What, what changed in the city? You see, if, if none of that's changing, you're not really having revival. It's not happening. You're just having something that you're faking it is. Real revivals in history when you look, like in the Welsh revival in Wells, every bar in Wells closed down. They all closed down. That's a revival. People would rather be at church than going out drinking in the bars. They they shut down. That's revival. People's lives are changed. But what happens when that happens is the religious crowd will persecute you. Because, you see, they're not interested in life changing. They don't want change. But here the Lord says what? He's still looking for people to come into his house. If they don't want to go, fine. God is not going to take people kicking and screaming into heaven. He's not going to do it. You can't say a prayer and think, oh, I said a prayer, I'm saved. Or I got my head dunked in water and I'm saved and I can do whatever I want to. Listen, he's not going to take you kicking and screaming. You've been invited to the banquet. Are you going to go? Are you going to accept the invitation and go? He's not going to force you. You have to want to be there. You have to be one of those people that says, oh, we've waited and waited for this. Like that Isaiah, oh, behold our God, we've waited for him. We've waited for him to do this, and you're happy, and you're glad. Let's begin with verse 11. But the king came in to see his guest, and he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said "Then, friend, how did you come here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. There's not the king that's the man without the garment. He's speechless. And then the king says, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him in of darkness. Listen, that's casting someone into hell that's at the wedding feast of God. Well, how does that work? Listen, we're supposed to put on Christ. We're supposed to put on, clothe ourselves in the Lord Jesus. This is telling us that there's going to be someone that's going to, quote, accept the invite, but they haven't really put on the Lord Jesus. There's a lot of religious people I know that they, they, they talk a good show about Christianity, but they themselves, they want you to put on Jesus. They want everyone else around them to put on Jesus. And they want everyone to act like they've got Jesus. And they'll do it. But they themselves don't want to. In a contemporary fashion, let me say, these are the people that think you can be a Christian, but you don't have to be a disciple. I've met people like this. They go, well, you can be a Christian, not be a disciple. The funny thing about that was, it was the disciples who were called Christians. Book of Acts. It was the disciples who, That were called Christians. The idea that you can be a Christian, but you don't have to be a disciple, is not only false, it's deceptive, and it's what this person was here. It was someone that they thought they got an invite, they can come and do whatever they want to. It's sort of like this generation I was talking about that don't understand the formalities. I can just go however I want to go. Listen, I can't determine what salvation is about. I know this may upset some people. I'm not the one who determines what is salvation. Jesus determines that. I'm not the one that sets the boundaries for what makes a relationship with God. God sets those boundaries. Jesus sets those boundaries. Being a disciple means I am a follower of Jesus, In other words, whatever Jesus is telling me I need to do with my life, that's what I need to do. I'm a follower. Listen, you don't have to be perfect. Peter wasn't perfect. He, he said things all the time he shouldn't say. You know, we like to say he stuck his foot in his mouth. He, he does things all the time that's not right, and the Lord is correcting him. But Peter was a disciple. Being a disciple is not about being perfect. It's about being a follower and having the Lord teach you. Show you. And when he corrects you, you don't sit there and go, Well, it's my way or the highway, Lord. You 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 see that and you go, Oh, yes. See, so gets back to etiquette. Children growing up would go to these events and they would we would teach them. I would be taught. I would go places and I would have people go, Listen, this this fork is for your salad. This fork is for your and I know that's sort of stupid. But you see, there was really, there's something more to that. There's a deeper meaning. It's not about the forks. Don't get, we can sometimes think things like that and we begin to have a, like a law mentality of, well, if I follow all these rules, 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 rules. No, that's the law. But with the Spirit of God, it's like the Spirit is teaching you, hey, come to my, come to my banquet. Let me show you how to dance. Let me show you how to speak. Let me show you how to walk. The Lord's not mad. They're, they're, ultimately, when little kids were growing up with these sort of formalities, and they went, it was a big deal. They were excited to go, and they were eager to learn because they wanted to participate in everything that was going on. At a wedding feast, uh, yeah, no one was perfect, but you know what? They showed each other the right way to act. They showed each other the right way to dance. You had people that would go, there, maybe they ever danced before at a Jewish event. If I went, I wouldn't know how to do a Jewish dance, but you know what? I would learn. It's the same way with the the king's thing. But to answer the invitation, you must show up dressed appropriately. See, when we stand before the Lord, we're either going to have Jesus Christ on us. We're going to be dressed in Christ or being clothed in Christ. In other words, when God looks at us, he's going to see the righteousness of Jesus. He's going to see his son or not. If he doesn't, that means that we are standing there in our own work, our own flesh. Our own, that's not good. That's why it says there are many called, but few chosen. Very quickly, I know I'm trying to keep these podcasts down to 30 minutes, and I'm right at that moment. But let's read the last scripture verse, Philippians 4, 4 through 13. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. These things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me. These do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me is first again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak in regard to the need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Very quickly I want to say this Philippians passage tells us how to dress. To rejoice, to be gentle. Things to think on. You know, where to think on good things. So many of us we 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 get anxious and we think on the evil. Think on the good report. Think on what's just. Think on things that are noble. I know we say, say, get your mind out of the gutter. Yeah, we need, we need to put our mind upon heavenly things. There's another wrong thing that says you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. And that's, that's a wrong saying. If I'm not heavenly minded, I can't be earthly good. If I'm all about the flesh and that's where my mind is, how can I, how can I help anyone? How can I be any good on earth? My mind needs to be on set on things above. It goes on and talks about so many things. Paul's like these things you've learned and received and heard and saw in me. These do. In other words, have we learned the etiquette of the kingdom? Have we learned them? Have we received them? Have we seen them? Have we heard about them? Rejoice greatly! Oh yeah, because we're going to the party. We're going to the party. Paul says, and here he's thinking about, you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. See, in this passage, Paul, is he's, he's been thrown into prison. He's a prisoner and stuff. And he's writing them. And he's like, you know, the Philippians have often said, well, you care about me. You care about me, but you lacked opportunity. You know, there are times in our life that we lack opportunity, but now Paul's in prison. They have the opportunity to show their care. Listen, we're you and I were getting ready to go to the feast. Maybe... Last year, 10 years in the past, last six months, whatever it was in your past. As a, maybe you just lacked opportunity, but I'm telling you today, time is short and the opportunity is now. The opportunity is now to clothe yourself in Christ, to walk as he's calling you to walk. Now it's time. It doesn't matter what state you're in. If you're a base, it means you've got nothing. You're just without anything. Or you abound and you have stuff. doesn't matter which which place you be in. You can be content with God. And you can be able to be full and hungry for what he has for you. Because you can do all things through Christ who will strengthen you. So we end with this get dressed. Christian, get dressed. Clothe yourself with the Lord. Prepare yourself for God and his day. We don't know when it's coming. But the Bible ends with, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Father, we thank you for today, God. I pray right now for those who have listened to this podcast that they will become hungry for your banquet, that they will become hungry to be with you, God, for the things that you have, God, for that moment in time when you will wipe away every tear from our eyes, God, and that things will forever and ever be changed. God, we thank you for that. God, help us to clothe ourselves in you, to prepare ourselves for that day, God. For Today is the day of opportunity, God, to walk with you. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. We thank you for listening to this podcast. You can check out other teachings from our podcast series. You can check all those out at www.christianimpact.net. You can learn about our ministry, learn about our discipleship, our teachings, Contact us. Drop us a line. And until next time, God bless.